Hi there, my name is Terry, and welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. Today I'm chatting with the wonderful folks who run Animation Wildcard. They include Casey Fallen, Cami Kwan, and Alexis Dupre. And if you're unfamiliar with Animation Wildcard, it is a collective of animation professionals who've come together to promote original work from animators in the industry. So far, they've published nine episodes featuring short films from over a dozen animators from all over the world. And you can currently view all the episodes on YouTube and episode snippets and animator spotlights on their Instagram. In our chat today, they're gonna to share the amazing mission behind the project, how you can get involved and get your work featured, and the behind the scenes resources they're creating to bridge gaps and remove gates from within the industry. Also, since Cami, Casey, and Alexis are all in stop motion production, they're going to share their own career journeys, the top skills they developed to get hired, and a snapshot of what the stop motion industry currently looks like right now. But before we dive in, I have a sponsored message to share with you, and it comes from my friends over at Hue, who are offering listeners of this podcast the chance to win one of four really cool prizes, especially if you're into stop motion or know someone who's just starting out. The first prize is a Hue Animation Studio Kit, which includes a colorful Hue HD camera with a bendy gooseneck, built-in microphone, and manual focus, perfect for your next stop motion project. The next three runner-up prizes are of a digital copy of the Hue Book of Animation, which takes you step-by-step -step through how to create your own stop motion videos, and a single user license of Hue Animation Software, their easy-to-use animation software, which has some really great features like onion skinning and time-lapse, perfect for stop motion. You can even record your own voices and bring your animation to life. I'm honestly so excited about this giveaway. If you're listening to this, you should definitely enter the draw. All you have to do is go and give your email. I've included a link in the description of this chat to enter, so make sure you click on that link and also sign up for their email list as they give away a lot of helpful resources. The contest closes on November 1st, so make sure you do that right now. And if you'd like more info about Hue, they offer an all-in-one starter kit for kids around 7 to 13 years old and includes everything I mentioned in the draw. It's an easy and fun way to learn key animation techniques including claymation, lip syncing, and rotoscoping. They also offer their Hue book of animation, which I mentioned before, and you can download free sound effects, a storyboarding template, and backgrounds to give your videos added magic. And you can get all of this by visiting their website or ordering off of Amazon, and I've included these links in the description of this chat as well. So please go check those out. And now let's jump right into the chat. Hello, Animation Wildcard, AKA Lex, Cami, Casey. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Good. 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 <laughs> nice. Thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah, thank, thank you, you for much. coming on. I'm really excited to chat about kind of this initiative project that you started, which I think is a really cool way to connect with people and make some really cool stuff during quarantine for uh, this weird trying time. But I also kind of want to dig into your brains about your careers a little bit and what led to this point. So maybe maybe we can just go around, I was going to say the room, but uh, the Zoom boxes <laughs> <On the> screen, <laughs> and just introduce yourself and give some highlights of, uh, you know, this amazing career in stop motion that you've chosen. All right. Uh, <laughs> I'll go first. <laughs> um, okay. Hi, I'm Casey. Um, I'm a production manager and assistant director. Um, I primarily work in stop motion and mostly in Los Angeles right now. Um, my path is from going to school in Detroit and I had a background in music and visual art and kind of went the visual art route. Um, and worked in New York and ended up out in LA. So kind of bounce around studios out here, um, but mostly work as a production manager these days. Nice. 
Yeah. Who wants to go next? Cammy? Uh, I'll go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Cammy Kwan. I'm a um, creative producer and partner at Apartment D, which is a stop motion studio here in Burbank. Um, I started, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, so that's a big stop motion town. So stop motion was always like in my awareness. I always knew I wanted to be an animator. Um, and then I went to school in Rochester, New York at RIT, go Tigers. Um, and when I started, I, I studied film and animation there. And like when I actually started doing animation, I did all different types at first, but the more that I did it, the more I realized like stop motion was where I wanted to be. So um, after I graduated, I, uh, lived at home for a year and worked on my portfolio. And then I um, got an opportunity to move to LA and work at Bixpix on the show Tumbleleaf, which is super beautiful stop motion show. Um, and when I was at Tumbleleaf, I um, connected with uh, Max Lopez and Sean Maloney, who are my current business partners. And um, we just got to know each other by working um, as an animator and an armaturist and machinist. Um, and so I, um, worked with those guys on a couple of freelance projects that Apartment D picked up and um, we bonded and became a really great team. And then from there um, started Apartment D and we've been doing that full-time for the last like two years or so. So now I'm a full-time creative producer, director, partner at Apartment D. Sweet. Yeah. All right, last but not least, That's Lex. Awesome. <laughs> uh, I'm Alexis or Alex. Um, people who know me will call me Alex. Um, <laughs> I am from Connecticut. Uh, I went to school at the University of Connecticut and I studied illustration. Uh, so I didn't really touch animation at all until I got my first job in Connecticut at Palm's Discount Furniture um, via my illustration professor, which was a really great connection because she not only set me up with like my job and future passion, but also my future husband <laughs> in a way. Because uh, I met Scott there, um, who's also my creative partner. Um, and we moved across the country when we felt ready to go to LA and test our skills there in the Stoutwish community. Um, we both started sort of at the bottom. I was an intern, he was an entry level animator. And then uh, we both just kind of worked our way up and figured out how to run things and then decided, you know what, we really want to do this together. and somewhere that's a little bit more affordable. So <laughs> we started Threadwood and we've been producing self-made content. Um, and we just recently moved to New York. So this is very new. <laughs> oh, wow. Congrats on Ooh, the Ooh, happy moving. <laughs> yeah. How I, long I have you to... been there, Lex? <laughs> Less than a month. <laughs> oh, wow, that's yeah. so fresh. I know. Yeah, Lex just <laughs> left you. us, it's so sad. <laughs> I know, but thankfully I'm still working remotely with Cami on a project right now. Yeah, yeah, Lex is doing um, some art direction for an Apartment D project right now. So we're still still connected, still working. Nice. When, when you're yeah. like, you guys are pretty much steeped in the stop motion community down in the South because I'm in Toronto, Canada. What is oh, it sure. like? Do you just, because like when I'm working on a stop motion project, that's all I live in, breathe. And I don't even know what it would be like to be surrounded by so many other people who are also doing stop motion. What is, do you ever talk about anything else? I'm mean, like, what is it like? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, oh, that's so I mean, funny. Before, um... nerdy passions at work. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, before COVID, I had like set this goal. I was like, I'm going to make friends outside of 
animation. <laughs> and now really I can't, so it's all good. <laughs> I'll just make more animation friends. <laughs> so tell me, tell me, well, maybe that's a good segue. You can't make friends because of quarantine. Tell me, tell me the history of animation wildcard because you're, you know, you're posting episodes. You're, you've got a bunch under your belt now, and uh, you know it's kicking off some steam. Is that the right expression? I don't think so. But picking tell, tell me the picking up steam. Picking up steam. Picking up. Tell me the history. Um, of why? Well, I think Lex, you might be able to get started because it kind of started with you. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you had it planned for you had it the thought of it for a really long time, right before quarantine. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I had it in other iterations. I was like, "Ooh, I'm going to pitch something like Kablam at some point." Mm -hmm. um, just because I really like short form animation. But then once quarantine started and Scott and I were like itching to make some projects because we did not know how long, you know, we were gonna be stuck at home and, you know, we needed to be creative and we didn't think jobs were gonna come around for a while. So we wanted to build our portfolio. Um, that uh, like that little seed was planted. And then I was like, Scott, what if, you know, we invited our friends to do this thing with us and like, it got a lot bigger and we could all do shorts kind of like the way we do them where they're like little comic strips or it's like a very quick like beginning middle end and it's just like really concise we're not asking anybody for like you know a full episode of anything because we'll make the episode together and then hopefully that'll you know merge all of our audiences into one place instead of being so like separated um and he told me it was a terrible idea none of our friends would want to do anything for free <laughs> Um, <laughs> so uh, then I had already scheduled a chat with Max for something else work-related, um, brought it up to him very nervously, and he thought it was a great idea, and I was like, okay, great. So then the next time I chatted to Casey, which was within that week, I was like, okay, I have this idea. Max thought it was a good idea. I think it's a good idea. Scott thought it was a terrible idea. Um, and then we started meeting frequently and really kind of fleshing it out because it was really just an idea. It wasn't like a plan. <laughs> nice. So your original intentions were to build a portfolio and you said connecting audiences is, is one of your intentions to grow an audience specifically by using all of your social medias together in one place? Yeah, I thought that would be kind of nice. I mean, it didn't, hasn't fully worked in that way, but I think it is in a little bit like, cause everyone has their own unique audiences. So mm -hmm. it's sort of like if you're all pooling your resources, then, you know, like, okay, my stuff will get seen by, by Casey's friends and then Casey's stuff will get seen by my friends. Mm -hmm. So then it's like, you are already growing kind mm -hmm. of naturally or forced naturally, I guess, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think for us it was like, okay, we know social media is a tool, but not all people making this kind of work are using it that way. So that's right. something we felt like we could just utilize to kind of like up the, visibility of what everyone is making and kind of help everyone who is involved in this community by using it as a tool. Yeah. Nice. And also we're so used to just having like our noses down, like doing the work at the studios that we don't really like take a step out and, you know, try and be a bit more public facing because we're all very used to working behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we know that there's this like flourishing, you know, social media, space for creatives but not very many of us are very engaged in it just because it's kind of a completely different beast than we're used to mm -hmm. totally yeah um so yeah. you oh go ahead oh yeah i was just gonna say yeah and then we started kind of inviting 
people we knew to participate. And that's kind of how our first episode came about was taking the structure and we're like, okay, we'll see if people are interested and we're going to try and make one episode and just see how it goes. Um, and then people were super into it, especially at the beginning of our um, stay at home order in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really like, just use what you have, the materials you have. And like, this is your, your community can help you and like answer questions. Cause a lot of um, people working professionally are kind of in a very like specific niche of animation or stop mm -hmm. motion. And they're not doing all the different parts of the pipeline. So mm -hmm. we kind of used each other as a resource to get through those different phases that maybe we hadn't worked on since we made our last short, which for many people was like their Solid. thesis. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was kind of like stretching our wings in that way um, and bringing people together. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, the response was great. And, but some people like didn't quite finish which was cool because at that point it was like basically everyone was in a bit of a mental health crisis um so, um then we we're like well that seems like an episode too like we can't just not let them finish and 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 that was that was great for us because it kind of kept us kept us moving and now we're at the end of season one um and have reached out to you know people we don't that weren't in our personal networks and have really been expanding and, and growing um, our little community. So it's, it's been really great. So you are making more friends just in stuff. I think that's yeah. really cool because, you know, forward facing, I watched all the episodes and everything and it's like a really cool collaboration and collective. I didn't realize that there's this behind the scenes going on of you guys, you know, helping and mentoring each other in different areas to, accomplish this i think that's really great so um yeah. you've created nine episodes i didn't realize that was season one <laughs> so one, one more there's one the, more season 10 no no episode 10 will be the finale for gotcha. season one. <laughs> is there, is there going to be a season two yes oh, okay. so give me give me some highlights of uh season one so far i think the highlight. most exciting thing of season one um it start one of the very first things we did even in episode one was started a discord for everybody involved in animation wildcard and our discord community has been like that has been the highlight for me honestly is seeing everybody connect over there and we've had like pretty significant conversations on there about like I, like really i don't know significant topics that you would only talk about ordinarily if you were all together like getting drinks after work or something, but the the Discord community has been like super remarkable. So that's my highlight. Yeah, yeah, it has been really great to have. And that's something where like, we have these little communities that form on these different projects that we get hired on, but so many of us are project-based and it can be like really jarring at the end of a job to kind of disperse and kind of go your separate ways and either have to start a new job or be, have some downtime and, and it's been really great to have something consistent, even as people have been going back into studio work to have that Discord channel and, and to still have like that baseline of community. It's been really great. Yeah. Um, so uh, I was just thinking, you know, you're, you're, you've kind of created a space for very, very short format. You said almost like comic um, videos. I can't even think of another place that create something like that other than Newgrounds collabs, but I feel like that's different. So it, like in your minds, where is a space for, you've kind of created this space for very, very short format. What is your ultimate vision or goal for this? Because like, I'm thinking like, you know, web series, TV, et cetera, the minimum format is always like 
11 minutes, 22 mm -hmm. minutes, et cetera. So, so like, what are your thoughts on this continuing and, and turning into something bigger or just your vision really in cool. general? I mean, I don't think we have like, uh, you know, that kind of goal as of right now, just because that's like a huge undertaking. Um, but I do think it's nice that, you know, anybody who's creating content for this, like they own it and they can present it however they want, you know? So like some of our participants have done series, which is pretty great. So they've like, you know, including myself and my husband, like we put the same character through multiple different situations. And so it's like, you've already kind of really fleshed out this idea. If you want to take it with you somewhere and pitch it, like, it's yours, you know, you've done all the work, you've developed this thing. Um, and then, you know, for other people, I think it kind of ends up being like a sketchbook, uh, like a more finished piece, but it's still kind of short and kind of um, lighthearted. So maybe you've just got something that, you know, wouldn't be good to stretch out into a two minute or a five minute short for like, a very serious film festival but it's something that's been nagging at the back of your brain that you just like need to get out um i think that's been a good space for that kind of thing which i you know those work really well in short bursts on your own but like it's so much better when you're bolstered by a bunch of other people who are doing kind of the same thing um and it has a little home each like episode has a weird theme that is not predetermined <laughs> it just happens it happens every time. You also, you yeah. don't only, oh, sorry, go ahead, Casey. Oh yeah, I mean, I think for us, it's really been like along the way forming like a, a vision and like guiding principles. And that's more what's guiding our like next moves and like season two and things like that. Um, and we kind of look back to that um, when we need to make decisions or when we're thinking about expanding into like new territory. And that's kind of our guide as opposed to having this like, one big goal for us it's very much like journey focused and community focused what do yeah. you mean by expanding into new territory mm. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know we have i don't know every now and again we, we have, have like dreams. a we have, we big, have big dreams so, we but, have big dreams and we have big like they're like we work for other studios as well as working for ourselves and working for animation wildcard and there are things that are not perfect and we know need to be better. And this is a place that we have a lot of agency over and we can use that to address some of these issues in our industry, like, and, and not every issue, but we can address some of the gatekeeping issues and, and these this need to like, you have to make a really long short to get noticed or something. It's like, no, you can make something that's 15 seconds and it can get seen and it can show what you can do. And and I think as far as like our, our new territory, it, it can go in all different kinds of directions. We have lots of ideas, um, <laughs> but I don't think we could share them yet because they're a lot of work. <laughs> I find it really impressive that you do this on the side of your jobs as well. And, and like, obviously this is a huge team coordination thing that takes, I can't even imagine how many conversations you have back and forth. Um, and I also love that you feature the artists uh, kind of on, on, at least I've seen it on Instagram. I don't know if you have like features on YouTube or other do you also have like a twitter and other places we've tried to keep the social media very simple just because yeah. there's only a handful of us <laughs> but i think it's really cool I've, I've noticed you also take uh you know stop motion isn't the only form of animation in there is it open to literally anything yeah so if i want to make some weird experimental cg slash i don't know 
something else. It's totally cool. Yeah. The only <laughs> fits the parameters. If it fits the parameters. It fits and fits within the time. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So, okay. So say I'm like an artist who really thinks this is cool and I'm kind of, you know, testing out this social media and my skills and stuff. How do I get involved in this project? As of right now, we're keeping track of anybody who chats to us and we ask them to send us emails. So that way we have one place we can kind of, you know, group everything together and we can make a separate list of like the folks who are looking for a little bit of guidance, a little bit of, you know, anything like that, where it's like, they're not like a fully formed professional just yet. Um, because that is part of our, our bigger goals. We're still trying to sort out that we really want to do something with, but like we can't give away too, too much because we can't promise if we can't like, you know, just come right out and do just yet. But those are the bigger goals really is that we want to be able to help folks like that. Nice, nice. You keep alluding to uh, these big plans, which I'm interested <laughs> in. Are there specific things you want to share about Animation Wildcard that I haven't asked, asked you yet? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think we're excited that this is the end of season one. Um, so episode 10 comes out right before Halloween. So I'm sure there's gonna be some spooky stuff in there. Um, and then we're gonna do a holiday episode, mm. any holiday you want uh for the winter season and then we're going to take a bit of a break but we're going to try and uh retool some things for like how we handle our social media and just how we organize things so we can better support the community there um we've done a little bit of retooling of our discord space already so that way we could make it a little bit more public um so sort of we're just like moving forward like a little bit at a time instead of trying to take it all on at once um, but we definitely want to do things like, you know, gathering resources. So if folks have the same kind of questions, we know how to answer them a little bit mm -hmm. faster. You know? Sounds like you've almost unintentionally created this great wiki guide for <laughs> people who want to create short projects. And, uh, that sounds really valuable to me. <laughs> we do. Yeah, we do want to do that. <laughs> that's one of our, like, that's one of their ultimate goals, frankly, to be a resource for people. <laughs> Nice. That's a really yeah. great goal. I think that's yeah, yeah. We want animation to be accessible, and we don't want we don't want there to be all these barriers to entry to having to go to private art school and all this stuff, especially for stop motion because it's so specific, and you really just need to do it and have the community of feedback and and to really learn as, yeah. as you go along. I think stop motion is one of those art forms where like it is very old fashioned and that like it all the information and like skills and stuff are just passed down like through apprenticeships and generation to generation and like it's like an oral tradition honestly there's no like one place where all this stuff is written or all the strategies are written or anything so yeah. I don't know having this community online instead of having to be physically in LA in the studios it that that truly is like bringing stop motion into the new digital era I think in a way that it hasn't been brought before totally that's We're totally true yeah and it's like I think COVID has just brought so much to light and it's yeah. like showing that all forms of animation are viable in a COVID environment and in a post-COVID-19 environment and that not every form of animation has to happen through a studio and that people really can do things on their own and, and great things yeah nice. Did you feel, you mentioned, you know, information is passed down through apprenticeships and stuff like that. 
when you started your first professional experience, was it a big shock from what you expected or had kind of trained yourself in in stop motion? <laughs> I didn't have any training, so. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say that it was a big shock. There are definitely some things where I learned like, what I learned in school is completely wrong. Like we learned some things that were just like complete taboo in the real professional world. And they were like, don't do that. Um, namely twisting wire, like don't twist, don't twist your wire to just um, but like things like that. Um, Wait, don't twist your, I twist all my wire. No, I, you're not supposed to twist your wire because you're adding strain it. to the wire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you twist it, you're like putting strain on it. So it's going to break a lot more quickly than it would. What you should do is take your multiple wires and lay them down flat and then wrap them together. Um, oh, I'm, yeah. What? The life of the wire. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> I'm learning I, in school, things myself right now. Yeah, in school, I learned you twist your wire. So that's yeah. what I came in with. And then the puppet department was like, stop yeah. that. Set that yeah. down. <laughs> like, step away. Come here. Let, let's, let us show you. Um, so like, I wouldn't say it was like a big shock in any way. It was just like, there are just things that you would never have learned if you weren't there. But honestly, I think, I don't know. I was like very obsessed with stop motion animation studios as a, as a youth. I read every book about the making of Nightmare Before Christmas. Like I as watched all the behind the scenes of everything as a youth. <laughs> um, youth. <laughs> so I don't know. I feel like when I got there, it wasn't really that shocking. I Honestly, the biggest surprise to me was like, it wasn't like a shock surprise. It's just something I never knew because you would never know it from reading books, but like how tight the community was and how like warm and wonderful and like friendly and amazing everybody was. Um, <laughs> that was like the biggest discovery for me. <laughs> that was super nice. I mean, for me, I feel like it was like a little bit on the like darker side of like <laughs> just shocked by the lack of gender parity. Um, um, I did start at Bix Picks and that place was pretty unique as far as the gender stuff went. Right. And I started out interning and first it was live action, like kind of like sports media, which was like, no, <laughs> um, but then I was also going to like, you know, CTN and doing all these things and kind of really seeing a need for the challenges that you're going to face, especially as like an entry level person, mm -hmm. um, knowing knowing what's right, knowing how you should be treated and knowing just what, yeah, what your rights are. And that's something that I took back to school with me before I actually started working professionally um, and connected with women in animation. And at least we were able to get a student chapter started in Detroit. And I think it happens a lot with like those bubble schools that kind of grow this community and kind of a place where there isn't a lot of work. And then you kind of get thrown into the industry without a lot of connections, without a lot of maybe teachers who are actively working. Um, and that was something that was like really jarring for me. What are some of those things that, you know, maybe as an entry level animator, you should be aware of, like you, you mentioned rights and, and things like that. I think like, no, no, just for intern, interning specifically, like you, there are rules that go with being unpaid and the things that you should be asked to do and they have to have educational value and in certain places they need to be for credit um, and you can't be replacing a worker. Um, there are a lot of things, there are a lot of things and they're pretty basic baseline like throughout the country and then in the state of California, if you are going to California that you should just know and it's not something where like, you're not gonna accept an internship for those reasons, but it's, I think you should know um, well, I think it and you should you in terms it of like you. knowing how someone can ask you to do something or, you know, you just like, if you have this knowledge of this, you know, that if 
this one thing comes up, oh, that's an inappropriate ask. And I can say that because like, I shouldn't be doing that. That's actually like a job description. Um, I'm here to learn. Um, I think that's like the biggest distinction, especially like if you're being unpaid, like it really needs to function like a class. You need to be learning what you're doing yeah. and it has to have low stakes. Like you can't be like at fault for, you know, wrecking something because you shouldn't have anything in the final animation. That's like super important. It needs to be supplemental and like, is- yeah, if it fits, you know? Right. And you shouldn't be working like a ton of hours. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, one of my internships, I was working way more than full time, working weekends and all that, and it's like that's not right. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, there's there's a lot that can be done for like entry level. Um, I feel like there's been a lot of progress too, because there has like, been too. When I interned, I should not have been an intern. I was not a student. Um, I got very lucky that I got let in the door just before all of. Um, everything got really litigious. I feel like it was what WB or something about unpaid interns and mm. suing. And I don't know, it happened around 2012. And that was when my internship was. <laughs> and then right after that, there were no more internships unless you were getting student credit, like mm. uh, at a university or something. Um, but those internships are actually like the places where you make those relationships. Um because there's someone who can actually mentor you in that process. And like, really you find the people that you connect with, the people that like work similarly to you. Like I went through the art department. Um, so like, you know, I was learning all sorts of materials so quickly and just like understanding, like, you know, what things stick to what and what things don't and, you know, what paint's going to react with something else. And like, all of those things are super important and you really mess it up if you don't know. Mm. so like it's so helpful to have these like wonderful guides that are just like you know my paint lead my builder lead a production designer who understands like where I'm good and like what I need to work on you know that Mm. kind of stuff um it's all really beneficial because they're the people who are going to hire you in the future yeah that's truly where all your like future work relationships are going to come from yeah and everybody disperses after every job so it's like you maybe you have that one entry-level position or that one internship and then you wait a year and everybody works somewhere else and if you've made a good impression and you maintain those relationships genuinely then you now have a connection at a bunch of different places yeah i kind of have two questions around this one is like i've i've been an intern my like my past business experience i was an intern myself in a different industry but you know, when you walk in, you want to do everything. You want to make the best impression. You want to take everything that's given to you and run with it. So how do you develop, you know, Casey, you said you were working weekends and extra hours. How do you develop a discerning kind of attitude when you're so fresh and you aren't sure what you should or should not be doing to make a good impression because you're worried if you say no, then you'll be known as that intern who said no. No, I think the best thing is to like get clear expectations at the beginning, like have an end date, especially if it's an unpaid internship, like Mm -hmm. there needs to be a point when you become a valued worker Mm -hmm. and if they want you to keep working, then they can pay you minimum wage, you know? So (laughs) I think setting those parameters and also getting like a job description and knowing what you're responsible for, Mm -hmm. um, from the beginning is really important. You don't get a job description if you're an intern? It's just like you're here to (laughs) intern? You don't always. I mean, <laughs> okay. 
I just showed up and I was like, I yeah, have yeah. clothes on, so I think I'm all set today, right? <laughs> okay, so that makes a lot of sense, really. So maybe if you have an internship lined up, just go in day one with some and set some really clear expectations for yourself and and uh yeah even before day one you know before accepting something just know what it is that you're accepting and and that way it also gives the employer a chance to um kind of think about those things as well and think about how you're gonna fit the most important thing as an intern is if you are ever unsure of something ask a question Mm -hmm. because no one's expecting you to be knowledgeable in any specific way They'll be surprised and happily if you have this deep knowledge of this one technique or this like, you know, style or something that'll be really exciting icing on the cake, but no one's expecting you to come in and like have this knowledge already. And that goes for also like how to negotiate or not negotiate, but just like how to accept a job. So if you're unsure about something, asking questions is the best way to like clarify things without having to say no. Um, And also to just like, that's the thing that like shows that you're hungry to do this work that you want to know more about it. Like when you're making those relationships with those mentors, it's like, how did you do that thing? I saw it. It was incredible. Like, I don't even understand, like, am I missing something because I've tried something like that or whatever the answer or the, the question is, but like, those are the things that establish your relationships too. And as long as they're genuine, those are the things that kind of like take you along um, and make you grow really fast too. You know, it's just that like curiosity. Nice. My second question is, you know, you mentioned things like what paints to use and stuff like that. So me, you know, I'm, I, I guess I'm an amateur freelance stop motion person at this point. And I've never worked with stuff like silicone. And Mm -hmm. I almost am afraid to just order a bunch of stuff and try it out in my living room on my own versus, (laughs) you know, work with somebody and go to a studio Um, And a big reason I didn't pursue stop motion when I was younger was because there wasn't any opportunity that I could see uh, in my hometown of small Waterloo where I grew up in Canada. Um, So how, how do you, if like, I'm trying to think of the feasibility of me moving to say the States uh, to do an internship for maybe free or educational value or minimum wage, like it's not a very viable option for me. And and I'm assuming a lot Mm -hmm. of other people too. So how do you, how do you get in the door? Because you said your internships led to work. How do you get in the door when you're kind of an outsider? Like, what are people doing to kind of get that entry level stop motion job that's paid? Um, and they are coming from smaller places that don't have stop motion. <laughs> you just have work that shows what it is that you can do. Like, we've hired people into entry level positions without having them be interns. And knowing that they aren't don't have any professional experience just based on like the portfolio that they have of things that they've done on their own time under their own steam. And even if you don't know like all of the techniques, like that's kind of okay because every studio might want you to do it differently. So like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't, we've never really balked at somebody coming at an entry level position and needing to be taught how to do stuff. Cause like, mm-hmm. we kind of want to teach you how to do it the way we want you to do it. Right. So really like the way that you get in is by making work and showing that you can do it. And I think if, if uh, outside of like being an animator specifically, like if you're more of like a fabricator, Mm -hmm. um, there is actually kind of a bit of wiggle room if you stepped into live action stuff, which is available more broadly Mm -hmm. in other places, because you at least understand like 
the language of the stages, you understand like the degree of like finishing sometimes, like I would absolutely say do not count on that as like what's going to get your portfolio for miniatures because there is such an intense, like intense threshold for like perfection in miniatures that you can be a little bit more lax on when things are bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you'll learn your like uh, materials knowledge and stuff like that, like quicker if you're working under any other art department because they're very similar products. We just use them a little bit differently. And we also like get really like tight in all of our increments. So that way everything like, you know, fits really small. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And I think also with like, what Kimmy was saying, it's like, you still need to make things, you still need to show what, what you know and what you can do. Kind of thinking of it, like personal projects as like case studies and like learning mm-hmm. a new skill and taking that one project that if you're a fabricator, maybe you're working to like a still image and it's not an animated image and you're really focusing on, you know, miniature woodworking for this one. Or if you're building a puppet, you're really going to focus on um, casting maybe um, or costuming and doing like one skill at a time Mm -hmm. and really honing it with the knowledge that you can find because it's really easy to get overwhelmed when you're trying to kind of match a studio style or or do everything yourself Mm -hmm. and try and make it look portfolio ready which like even at the studios it they're full of specialists especially in like LA and Portland like they're not there aren't that many jobs that are generalist jobs so are you saying resist the urge to complete an entire film where you fabricate everything animate everything do the lighting and it's all kind of like you're learning as you go versus so you might not have like a polished film in every area except that it's a finished film and it's stop motion versus <laughs> focus really hard on one or two things you really think that you like it's kind of both because there's value yeah. <laughs> to making a film there's value to making a film and knowing how challenging it is to do something from start to finish but also learning to like manage your own time and your expectations and make adjustments along the way like there's so much value in that but I'm sure pretty much anybody who's made a film that's on the longer side who they are at the beginning of the film and who they are at the end of the film as an artist and as a creator is like so different and you it's like an exponential growth so by the end of it you're like oh I don't really like the film anymore yes (laughs) because I want to go back and redo everything um so I think it's both it's it's and it's also like, what is it that you're trying to do? And as far as if you are doing this to get a job, yeah. like what is that job? And, and what is, what shows that you can do that work? And yeah. maybe it's not a film. Like I'm very rarely hiring directors. <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. It could just be like, okay, when Scott wanted to get hired out in LA, um, we just really made him a clean space with like a sweep of paper and general lighting. And he just, he loved like character sculpting as well. He got pigeonholed once he got to LA to be only an animator, (laughs) but you know, he liked making his own puppets at a certain point too. And then I would just supplement and make him a prop every Mm -hmm. so often, you know, and like, we would just take it really easy. Like Mm -hmm. you don't have to make this like fully fleshed out world that like, completely makes sense. Like, I think that's also kind of why, you know, gravitating towards these shorts that we're making for English mom card, they're kind of like sketches. Like you're just, you're trying to work through this like process, this technique, this idea, this something. Like a lot of the people that are doing these 2D works, 
are actually stop motion animators who wanted to like get back into 2D or like, you know, we actually had a couple of art department people who've now swapped into animation that like was completely unexpected, but also just like, great. One of them is now fully animating. <laughs> like, that's amazing. I'm gonna miss her in the art department, but hell yeah, we have another animator. <laughs> like, so wait, um, people are using animation wildcard to switch up their careers within oh, the industry yeah. itself to try out new things. That's really cool too. That's yeah. that's awesome. That's like a use that I didn't see at all. So I, my next question, which you kind of started answering was, what are those things when you see a portfolio like say I want to put together a portfolio. What is what is that thing that pops out and says, yeah, I got to hire this person? And you know, maybe they're doing just some lift tests or a walk cycle, or they have a full film. Like, what makes what what makes you click with what they've shown you? I guess it depends what it is you're looking for. Like speaking to animation specifically, like just them showing that they animate, just that they animate. If I go to somebody's portfolio or website and all they have is one walk cycle, like that's a little bit, that's a little bit hard to gauge. But if I go to their portfolio, if I go to their Instagram and they have a million five second tests, a bunch of 10 second tests, a bunch of the same character doing a bunch of different things, like that says a lot. And like, it is always true that the people that animate more animate are the better animators in the end. So I don't know. Um, that's, That's interesting that... to me because uh, what I've heard before is have like one really good reel where you demonstrate a lift and a walk and it's like, I don't know, a couple minutes of animation. But I guess what you're telling me is you you want more intel on this person. You're going to look them up and see what they're actually doing. <laughs> Sometimes uh, that's what they share. Sometimes that's their portfolio. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I guess I'm not saying that like your reel is really is really important. Hey. Um, <laughs> your reel is important, I guess. But I like I don't know. I I think at least the way that I hire people at Apartment D, like I tend to look at their Instagrams and see like what they do. And there have been people who they've come to us for like fabrication, but then I see that they also have done animation on the side. So they've ended up doing both at our studio. I've hired people for, I, I don't know, like seeing everything that they do, seeing who they are completely as an artist, like I don't know, that, that, that speaks a lot, I think to us here at Apartment D anyway, and seeing that they are constantly making work and constantly trying to improve, like you can watch them improve as they go. And that's really, that speaks a lot to the fact that they're gonna grow with us. Cause we're not necessarily looking for people who are, 100% like like a ready feature film like we're kind of looking for people who are ready to learn and ready to grow and do something weird that they've never done because like a lot <laughs> of our stuff is very non-traditional we might make you animate an American girl have you ever done that like nobody has nobody does that so I don't know that speaks a lot to me when I'm looking to hire people yeah I think for fabrication what I look for is can you show me the inner guts as well as the final product or at least some part of your process because like mm. everyone can put a you know a layer of paint on something and hide everything sins but like I want to see how you thought about that problem and how you solved it and if there are better ways that like I mean like oh I saw that thing it like I'm sure it worked for like a very short term project but if you were going to do this for like 
television show or it has to like be in perfect condition for an entire commercial or you know whatever be like you might want to use this instead of that or think about it this way instead of that way so that way it can be a bit more of a conversation you can really like tease out more um about just like what skill sets they're already gravitating towards too um because like ultimately you want somebody who can think from the inside to the outside like for fabrication yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think for me, I'm usually kind of half of the the hiring team, like as a production manager, I'm kind of the, the organizer. I'm getting all the reels and getting everything together. Um, when I am representing at like a, a kind of like a job fair and like a CTN environment, it's a little bit different because it's more like interpersonal skills. And that's really, I'm looking at like, oh, how does this person behave in a social environment? Because that's what being in a studio is. Um, but also as reels and things are coming in, like I'm looking at yes, okay, is this polished enough that I can hand this off and have a director, um, kind of the creative lead, um, see what they need to see. Um, But then for me, I'm looking at like their communication style and their organization and like, is this person like self-actualizing enough that they're going to be able to work in this environment and work with other people, but also be able to like manage their own time day to day. Um, So yeah. Those are, I'm, it's like a little bit more nuanced, but like I, I would see a difference in somebody who sent me a link to a website or a PDF versus somebody who sent me like a folder of photos. And I, it's really hard for me to know what they're trying to show me with each image. Sure. Um, and that seems like a basic thing, but it happens all the time. <laughs> so I guess what you, oh, no. oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I, I'm done. I was, it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, keep doing what you're doing and be very transparent about it and and kind of put, keep putting yourself out there it almost sounds like mm-hmm. um, and try and be organized about it and be organized yeah. about it not a mess that says a lot <laughs> that really, really does. for everybody <laughs> organization above all else maybe, maybe we can switch this into talking a little bit more about kind of the career of being a stop motion person um, because i hear a lot that it's kind of you know gig to gig project to project you're kind of working in a very niche within a niche already. So what is what is it like to, I mean, Lex, you just kind of moved to New York a month ago. Plus yeah. we're all dealing with the pandemic right now. So I'm sure this has highly impacted your work. Can you talk about your experience with that? Sure, yeah. Um, so I went, I'll go back a little bit. I went because- more freelance over two years ago just because I got extremely burnt out, um, doing full-time, pretty much like apartment, uh, art department lead, like all over. It was like, I ran the department. I was art director for multiple shows and commercials, and I did not take a break. And there were things that overlapped. I had great support staff and great employees. My team was amazing. And like, I appreciate them so, so very much, but I got to a point where I couldn't do it anymore and I had to figure out what that looked like outside of that. So my jobs got shorter, a little bit more concentrated and a little bit more spread out. But by that point, thankfully in my career, like I was able to command a bit of a higher pay. So that way I could spread them out a little bit more. So that was very privileged for me to be able to take some time back from whenever I put a lot of effort into something, I can take a big break. Um, 
So that's kind of how my hiatuses have been running in the last like two years. Just that like, I welcome them. It's a good time for me to recharge. I'll like learn something new. I'll try something completely different and be like a complete beginner at it, probably in the similar vein as art, but like a totally different material. Um, so I try to keep myself fresh and just thinking about things in a different way. Like I took up miniature glass blowing and that was amazing. Um, <laughs> you blow through straws instead of, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, they're like metal straws. Oh, no. Um, but yeah, so it was like, I don't know. It's just at this point. Yeah. It's like, I know that when I do a project, I go so hard <laughs> on that project that like, I need to pause really hard after. <laughs> um, so right now it's been a little crazy with the move during a pandemic and everything, but it also just kind of seemed like we had to do it because we bought this house a year ago um, with the intention of moving at some point and maybe renting it out. And then it just, the world changed and it wasn't feasible for us to have rent and a mortgage and a concerning uptick in cases in LA. And so, yeah, we rented an RV and moved across the country in the middle of the pandemic with no work. Except for Cammy hired me right after I got here. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like like the minute before you left, I was like, wait, before you go, we're going to have something. Can you please do work from New York? And you're like, yeah, of course. It's totally fine. <laughs> I'll do it. I don't care. <laughs> I'm a little strung out right now, but I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, Lex has worked with us for, I think she's the only art director I've ever really worked with. Like every project I've been on, you've been on, which is very beautiful. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been nice too, because like I got to help you guys develop a production design language and then I got to hand off the art direction. So we kind of did a little test run this yeah. summer um, yeah. where they hired a new art director named Christian, who's amazing. He was yeah, one of the builders. Um, <laughs> I love and I miss and I haven't seen, I think in about two years. Um, I'm on a video chat now. Um, yeah, so it's interesting to try and be a production designer remotely, but so far it's been working. Yeah, honestly, I think um, it's way better than I thought it would be, honestly. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know. What's it like working gig to gig for you, Casey, as like a production person? Mm -hmm. It's been less. I, I have a background in arts department, but have moved more into production management. Um, and you're kind of on projects a lot longer. Um, and so it can be, you know, you're in pre-production, but then you're also in post-production and in the middle, actual physical production. Um, <laughs> and it's a lot of overlapping projects if you're at a studio that that is actively looking for work and wanting to kind of put their animation back to back and keep their stages running. Um, so that's something that I, I, I'm working on now is like, how do I find balance in that? Because if you're on every project and it's on stages, like certain studios, you know, they run their stages on longer days and then your days just all become really long. Um, so I think it's finding, finding a balance with that. Um, but it's also, it's for me, like the gig to gig side of it is you, I really have to have like a thumb on everything that's happening everywhere. Mm -hmm. and knowing like when the like secret next thing is coming up because you kind of need to be on from the very beginning mm -hmm. um as a production management person um so it's really like maintaining relationships and just kind of knowing 
what's going on, even though like nobody's really talking about it. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, So that's important. But also for me, like it's good to have your own um, artistic practice or personal practice, these things that keep you grounded in your, your own life so that your work doesn't become everything. And I think that's hard for anyone working in a creative field is this thing that you love becomes this thing that you get paid to do and the stakes kind of change and it's not really yours anymore. So finding these things that can still be your own. And that's something that's wonderful about wildcard for us Mm -hmm. is like, this is my own. (laughs) And we can provide that for other people too, which mm-hmm. is, which is yeah. why it worked and the prediction was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Working gig to gig as an animator for me is a little bit different than like the gig to gig point of view from like a studio owner. I think as an animator, it was just like, stay in contact with everybody, stay friends with everybody, just like keep your network open and up and things are going to come to you. You kind of have to just I guess it's not so different being an animator from a studio owner because as an animator you're looking for animation jobs and like you kind of always have to be looking even if you're working like full-time at a studio weekdays like you kind of should also be just keeping your ear to the ground about other productions that are going on and like as an animator I definitely like would offer to do weekends on other productions that I couldn't do during the day on my weekdays and that keeps me in the mind of those productions in case something opens up once I am free um so that is kind of a thing it's just like always be looking for work even if you have work um and that's really similar for as a studio owner you're not necessarily looking for jobs for people to hire you you're looking for opportunities to make jobs for yourself to do you um so even if you are you know deeply engaged in an hour-long series and you're trying to get that done you still have to keep a corner of your mind open to approach other clients and propose new projects and and stuff like that so it's always having your mind in kind of two places at once like the job the work you're doing and then the work you want to do once that job is over you just always have to be looking no matter what yeah that's kind of what gig to gig has meant to me i think maybe what we've glossed over to you is that like there are real hiatuses oh yeah (laughs) you have to learn to be good with money like really like i didn't nobody teaches you finance and nobody warns you that it's going to happen either what is a good hiatus like a week a good hiatus or like a (laughs) what's the longest Um, good hiatus hiatus is one that you know how long it's going to be yeah that is a good hiatus (laughs) and that never happens Never. I, I think there was like a really trust a production until it starts because mm-hmm. even though it's greenlit, the rug can still get pulled out from underneath it, which is also kind of why you have to be in contact with multiple productions at the same time. It's not like you're promising your your work to all these places, but you need to know like how things are going and what other places are working right now. Mm-hmm. Um, because like when we first moved out here. We moved out here for a three-week job for Scott, and I had no work and no pay for almost a year. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and I was two-timing my uh, internships, so I was doing 50 hours a week at two different places. That so. sounds absolutely exhausting to do 50 hours a week with no pay. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, that was only for like three months. <laughs> <laughs> Longer than one week is is already enough for me. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's a little crazy. Yeah. I think we were pretty desperate when we first moved out here, mm-hmm. and also things were a little bit, like I said, different about internships at that point. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm wondering, you know, you mentioned previously in the podcast that you were surprised by the amount of uh, gender diversity in kind of stop motion as a niche. Is is Have things changed in terms of diversity of stop motion animators and producers and everybody? Not a great deal. We're still pretty white. Um, <laughs> yeah. We're whitey tidy, whitey tidy. Yeah. <laughs> we have a fair amount of um, women and uh, femme-identifying uh, folks, but it's usually not in positions of power. So it's like there's also kind of a mixed bag there too, where it's like it's great we have representation, but we don't have actual representation in that way either. So mm-hmm. I think we're all trying to. Um, just create those pathways a little bit more clearly. So at least we can start folks like moving towards that finish line or that like next goal post, uh, at least in our professional work and also in this. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that was a really big goal of, of Wildcard really was like opening up those opportunities for more people who, who might not necessarily get a chance to hear, to have their voices heard, like in the regular studio systems, the way that they are, the way that they're set up in the, more traditional paths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, there's it's like so many layers to this issue of like more people of color working in studios and how that environment is once people are actually in studios and making that an inclusive space. And that's something that we tackle in like our professional practice and when we're at studios and really hoping that we can make some changes there and continue to work on those things because it's like going to be a continual process and it's ne- the work is never going to be done i mean ho- hopefully <laughs> but i i think it's something that we always have to keep working on but with animation wildcard there's like kind of a different set of issues that we have more agency over and can address and that's mm-hmm. like gatekeeping issues and and um just barriers to entry that we can really do something about um with the tools that we have and that's that's really where we're focusing our energy on there and it's been i think it's season one has been such like a reflection of the times of working in COVID and then us trying to reach out and include more people and and making sure that that's a priority all the time mm-hmm. and and it's not just something that we talk about now it's something that we talk about forever mm-hmm. yeah and do yeah. something about and I think the like big ideas that we mentioned before about maybe being creating a way to like share knowledge resources a little bit more effectively so that like it isn't just captured within the studios that you have to get into to get that knowledge or within the schools that you have to get into and have the money and the like leisure time to go to school or take an unpaid internship or anything like that. I think the end goal with like having resources is to break down those barriers a little bit more and make it Mm -hmm. more possible for people to be more mobile in our industry. Right, right. And that's such like a socioeconomic economic privilege to be able to move to places where there is stop motion work or animation work specifically and where there is that room to be entry level and to not know everything mm-hmm. um it's something that needs to be tackled and it, it's it's a tough one um just because animation is so like hub based um and yeah unpaid internships like that can't be the only way in no because it's such a privilege to be able to take those like mm-hmm. not everybody can and I think that's no. also why we have such a limit on the bigger stories that we're able to tell because, you know, even though, like I said, there are plenty of women working on these projects, we still tend to work on a lot of teenage boy humor. Like, 
that tends to be the bulk of our work. And I can't tell you how draining that is sometimes. It's like, I don't mind it on occasion, but like when that's the sole focus of my work, it kind of kills my soul a little bit. <laughs> I mean, right, yeah, it's, totally. it's like, hard having to give everything you have to a project that might not represent you or where you are not even the target demographic that they want to watch it. Like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's true. Like stop motion is not a genre, you know, <laughs> animation is not a genre. It should be a diverse group of stories and the people telling them should be as diverse as the stories. And we're not, we're not really there. Yeah. Um, and we're hoping that like, that's something that, you know, these upper levels of the industry can be green lighting things that are different and yeah. that have something to say. That's and something that, okay, go ahead, Lex. No, no, okay, okay, okay. That's something that I was super stoked about for Animation Wildcard. Like one of my, the biggest things, I think one of the bigger barriers in stop motion at least is like people, different stories don't get told because people can't visualize how they will be. All they can visualize is either Tim Burton, Laika, or like Robot Chicken. They don't think that stop motion is able to tell any other kind of story because they've never seen it done in anything that looks different from those but with wildcard like you can point to it and say like you can make a beautiful fairy tale out of paper like you can make a world out of felt and it'll be beautiful like stop motion doesn't have to be feature film or like action figures there's so much in between <laughs> and i think if once people accept that and like realize that and their horizons are broadened as to like the kinds of stories and the ways they can be told in stop motion i think our world and our industry is going to open up a lot and so that's like i do think that wildcard is doing that like as a person who can like pitch projects and stuff like that to people like i would point to wildcard and be like look at the short this person did like we could get this person to direct this short like it just opens things up for people i think stylistically and artistically which can open up to a lot of different levels after that opportunity opportunity yeah. for everybody that's a really cool opportunity i didn't even think of you can because it is hard to pitch stuff when you especially in stop motion in 2d it's it's very easy because you can just draw something and be like it'll look like this but in mm -hmm. slow motion it takes so much time and effort to put together an animation test mm -hmm. um but i also so i want to get back to the diversity thing a little bit more because i think that's really cool that you are creating a space that's kind of open for you know inclusion of of whoever wants to participate and also the kind of stories they want to tell. I'm, I'm wondering what kind of audience do you want to attract with animation wildcard? Like who do you want? Cause you mentioned, you know, um, Lex, you, you were sick of boy humor. And <laughs> I'm just thinking like fart jokes and like innocent. I mean, my boy humor stuff. tends to be along the lines of 10 year old boy humor rather than 14 year old boy humor, which is very different. Um, so so like what audience, do you want to attract with animation wildcard because you know it seems like it's a very animator for animation focused thing on one half because behind the scenes you have like all the mm -hmm. help and wiki and stuff but on the other on the forward facing who are you hoping watches this i think our goal has always been um as broad as possible because we think that animation is for everybody um and i think that's sort of like we don't have to sanitize or make it you know super family friendly content as long as it's nothing like graphic or you know a little bit too suggestive like i think everything's welcome and i think that actually is reflected in the demographics that like we can track so far as like we do have kids as young as 13 and as old as like you know i think in their 60s and stuff like that so it's like a pretty <laughs> broad range with 
a heavy amount in their 20s but you know <laughs> like mm -hmm. and a heavy amount in LA but you know whatever it's fine <laughs> it's, it's where you it's where you start and support yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but we're we're like expanding and we're yeah. getting out there and I think the more people that know about it the broader that audience can be yeah nice. and like on YouTube all of our stuff is labeled kid friendly or whatever that mm -hmm. So comments are turned off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really. Which is fine. Yeah, we have enough comments to manage. It's okay. <laughs> we don't need the Wild West on YouTube for that. Um, and one kind of another topic I wanted to ask about was, so are stop motion animators unionized in the US? Because a lot of, I didn't think so, because basically all of animation is unionized except for stop motion for some reason. And I know there was like- this And production management. And production management. So it's how really do you tricky. negotiate pay when I feel like in some aspects you can be taken advantage of because you need the work because it's so niche, but in other right. aspects, you're like so highly skilled in such a very specific thing. You could almost charge more. So like, how do you figure out how to know your worth and what to charge in an industry where it's, you know, you can go both ways so easily. Talk to <laughs> Maybe other not so easily. You, yeah. <laughs> I think- Wait, talking, go ahead, Kimmy. Sorry, we were all talking. <laughs> I think talking to other artists is probably the best way to gauge like what you should expect to be making. Um, I think if you operate within a bubble, it's super easy to get taken advantage of. But if you talk to other people who either have had your job or have the job that like you're being offered, um, that, that gives you the ground. And like any artist is happy to talk to you about rate and stuff like that. Well, at least in my experience, people have been really open and willing to discuss what their rates are and have been. Um, that's something that has happened with like the wildcard community too, is like we've been able to share that information with each other and support each other with kind of what is appropriate and what has been appropriate in our experiences. So I think just yeah. being open and having, you know, people on your side to like back you up that like this is what reality is is helpful right and it's something where like if you're don't have those connections in the industry yet a really good way to go about asking those questions is to asking for an appropriate rate range <laughs> by people who have worked at that studio or have worked in that role um and that way you can kind of get your answer without like you know i, I don't know americans don't talk about money <laughs> so it's hard if you're a stranger um but it's, it's really good good to do and good to know. And I think working at multiple studios really helps. Um, it, it can be hard to kind of get a raise once you are somewhere. So kind of taking that job elsewhere and coming back is, is another way to do that. Another way to kind of grow your skill set outside of that studio. That's so and, true. I mean, I, I'm sometimes I'm a hiring manager, but even so I would say always, always, always negotiate. Um, especially if you see yourself as someone from a marginalized community, like advocate for yourself. And if, if they say no, they say no, but at least, you know, you did what you could. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, you're, you're making the most that you can. <laughs> as long as you're not being rude, you're not going to be pegged as a jerk for negotiating mm -hmm. just to be firm and clear. Yeah. Does this change when you're doing freelance stuff? Cause it's one thing to get a contract and be like, this is my daily rate on this show. Do you approach it the same way when you're doing freelance or do you charge more because it's a specific thing or is different per, like per project? Like uh, tell me about that. Uh, it's pretty similar. I'd say I, I try to get all of the 
nuts and bolts like figured out up front. If I'm just like, okay, this is your budget for me. Um, I will go ahead and generally make myself a schedule just so I know like we can clarify our expectations right from the beginning. And I can be like, this is what I can do in that amount of time for that amount of money. Um, and I know myself really well at this point as an artist. So it's like, I know what I'm capable of doing on a daily basis, which is also something that is very helpful. Um, if you want to be freelance is to really kind of track your own time and understand what it takes for you to get that thing done. Um, because like, you know, what could take me a half an hour might take you three hours. So you need to allot for that time or Mm -hmm. vice versa, depending on, you know, what my skill set is and what yours is. Um, but when it comes for like bidding jobs and stuff, it's the same process. So it's like, you know, whether it's a freelance single role or a freelance job role, um, or freelance job rather, like whole project, you really just need to set the expectations up at the front and, and work to that limitation, those parameters. So that way you're not like overextending yourself, um, but you're also getting the work done. Mm-hmm. That's true. true. And I mean, okay. knowing when you are technically freelance or independent contractor, like you are paying your own benefits, you're paying your own overhead. Usually, you know, you're not getting that kit fee. Um, so making sure that you're accounting for those things, even if you're not bidding a whole project, like there are costs that go into being a freelancer that do not equate to, you know, your day rate on a show. It's right. different. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Nobody's yeah. running to get you coffee either. So we got to put that. In <laughs> Nobody's getting you coffee at. You're on your own. There's a coffee no, and, somewhere. Yeah, and post-COVID, post-COVID like crafty a, is no like crafty. Not, <laughs> no, I heard there's a what it was cookies on Tumbly for something like that. There's a lot of what? I heard there was like Wednesday cookies at Tumbly. Oh yeah, yeah, there were, there were. They were frozen, so it's not like homemade or anything. But like, yeah, they did bake oh. cookies and deliver them on Wednesdays. Right. So that was really nice. Um, to me, it sounds like the overall message that you guys have given me is that if you want to make it in this industry, specifically stop motion, being part of community is so super valuable in terms of every aspect, like learning, figuring out your pay, like what's going on, all that stuff. Um, so I think that's really cool that you're also really trying to enhance that with animation wildcard and kind of doing it without gatekeeping. I think that's really honorable. Is there, is maybe as we kind of wrap this up, is there something that you want to leave listeners with from our chat or your experiences or anything, you know? Always make stuff. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's honestly the advice I'd usually give. I guess it'd be like, don't be afraid to reach out to people who you admire on social media. Like comment on people's Instagrams or like, you know, take a chance and DM them. You might, you might find that they're like really present and willing to give you advice and you might actually make a friend. Like, you know, just don't be afraid to reach out to people and like start forming that community on your own. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I second both of those. I was going to say ask questions, but I feel like that's very similar to what Cammy just said. But I feel like it also applies if you're at work and you're brandy new and you need mm-hmm. to learn a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't be crazy, but ask questions. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be crazy and take care of yourself for sure. Um, You know, the job isn't everything. And Mm -hmm. as like someone who's giving themselves creatively at work, you need to take care of yourself and kind of 
what is it like fill your cup outside of work and it can be hard during a pandemic to like get out and you know do the things that inspire you and, and keep you motivated but making space for those things and making sure that you structure your time in a way that you still have all of that is really important very important Good advice taking care of yourself i learned that mm-hmm. lesson the hard way the first time i was on a big project <laughs> yeah oh no yeah um is there anything else you you, you guys want to end off on Say hello to us. Yeah, check yes. out Animation Wildcard. Yeah, DM, DM random people. DM these guys. <laughs> yeah, if uh, <laughs> yeah, if you're interested in Wildcard, get in touch with us. Um, great way to do it is through our email, um, animationwildcard at gmail.com. Um, also through our Instagram and our website as well. Um, but yeah, email's best. Um, and that's kind of how we bring in new people is, is we build relationships with people. And when there's an opportunity that's good fit for them, um, we, we keep track of you and, and we don't yeah. care about you. Nice. Nice. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the chat, uh, Lex, Casey, and Kim. It's been a pleasure to hear your journeys and uh, everything you're working on. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. thank you thank so you. much for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And if you're listening and you want to get in touch with uh, Lex, Cammy, or Casey, or Animation Wildcard, which you should definitely check out. I've included links to all their social profiles and Animation Wildcard in the description of this chat. And that's all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Okay,